Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you again for joining us this week on the program. I mean, I, I tell you, we have had a time. I've just been, I hope you've been ble- as blessed as I have been. Uh, it's been a great uh, joy to me to have uh, John Noe, uh, author, uh, screenwriter, on the program with us uh, for several weeks. And we're going to do a couple more programs. And I trust you tell your friends about us and uh, tune in every week. We are continuing to unpack, I believe, some very difficult stuff. Let me just say to you, if you don't agree, with what we're teaching, we're okay with that. Uh, We're not trying to make uh, anybody believe anything. We're just simply saying, here's what we believe God said to us, and then you have the human prerogative to eat the grapes and spit out the seeds, search the scriptures, and see if they are so or not. Because I do believe that these things are challenging, and at first you may not be ready to let go of everything, and we're not asking you to. We're asking the Holy Spirit to be the teacher. We're just trying to offer an alternative here, but uh, uh, we've been sharing some things uh, that are without a doubt, eschatology is the most one of the most divisive subjects on the planet, and we're not trying to make enemies. And like I said, if you don't like what we're saying now, just stick with us. After a little while, I won't be teaching eschatology. We'll be back on some of the grace issues and some of that, but I believe that if we don't understand that a lot of the last days scriptures and end of the age scriptures, we're dealing with the end of the age of the law. If you don't really see that, it's not going to be able to really catapult you into a new covenant paradigm of grace. And so I think that that one of the the main things that pushed me over the edge to preach the grace of God was when I saw that the last days were not the last days of some future age, but they were the last days of the old covenant mosaic system. That's what made me step away from the mixture of mixing long grace. But I have on the program with me uh, John Noe, and uh, he is the president of Prophecy Reformation Institute. It's a conservative evangelical scholar. He is a conservative evangelical scholar and a member of the Evangelical Theological Society, where John has presented no less than 17 theological papers on eschatological reformation issues. He holds an earned PhD in theology from Trinity Theological Seminary and the University of Liverpool with distinctions. He's the author of several trade published books, including, and the one we're talking about a great deal, Unraveling the End a balanced scholarly synthesis of, of our competing and conflicting end-time views. And you can get this book on Amazon.com. And uh, uh, he also wrote one called The Greater Jesus, The Perfect Ending of the World, Off-Target, Principles for High Achievers. All of them are available, and other books are available on uh, Amazon.com. John is also a screenwriter. He's an award-winning entrepreneur and a past 20-year member of the National Speakers Association. He's been featured on numerous television programs and radio programs. Programs, including CNN's Larry King Live and CBN's 700 Club. He's climbed mountains around the world and lives in Indianapolis with his wife, uh, Cindy, who was a former state representative. And it is a great honor to have you on, John. That is some pretty powerful credentials behind what we're saying. And I say that, you know, uh, those aren't just ego boosters, but to let people know that these are things that are absolutely studied on a college level. This is not some uh, contrived idea. Most people only believe there's one view of end time things and it's usually the dispensational futuristic view with doom and despair and at the end of that one we basically lose but the way we preach it we win and we already have one 
And so uh, we want to talk about in this segment uh, Jesus' most dramatic prophecy. And uh, Matthew 24, of course, you've heard me teach in the book of Revelation before I had John on, uh, how that Matthew, uh, the four beasts of Revelation say, come and see. And I showed you in a former segment how I believe that those represent, one of the things they represent was the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of these beasts say, come and see. Uh, I submit to you that John is the, the apostle John, is the only one of the four gospels that does not have an Olivet Discourse. And so I personally believe that the book of Revelation is John's expanded Olivet Discourse so that uh, the seals that are open in the book of Revelation and the catastrophes, the catastrophes that are poured out with famines and wars and earthquakes and all of these things are the fulfillment of Jesus' most dramatic prophecy that are not in our future but are fulfilled in 70 AD. And so, uh, John, I want you to take, it's great to have you back on the program, and I want you to talk about Jesus' most dramatic prophecy and how that fits in with all of the stuff that we've shared. Well, good to be with you again. Yeah. <laughs> we've had quite a time we've already. We've had a good time. Uh, and we've been through quite a bit of uh, the Bible. Yeah. And, 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 you, and you just took us to, to the last book of the Bible. In fact, I totally concur that the book of Revelation uh, presents a fourth version mm -hmm. of the Olivet Discourse, but there's a major difference in that it does cover the same time frame, mm -hmm. but it is more yes. than that. Yes. So, uh, while, while Luke's version and Mark's version and uh, Matthew's version, you know, c covers this time period here, the book of Revelation covers this time period and more. Yes. And the reason for that is because we have the exegetical basis in the book of Revelation to extrapolate the revel relevance of this time period, this appointed time of the end, mm -hmm. which is unique. I mean, we only, only, there was only one appointed time of the end. Mm -hmm. There's only one cross. Mm -hmm. There's only one birth of Jesus. One sacrifice. One sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But the relevance of this is extrapolated for us with and extended effects. with ongoing effects. And we see that in Revelation chapter 10, where, right in the middle of Revelation, where John is told to do this unbelievable thing. Mm -hmm. He's told... Eat, Eat book. this book, yeah, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> you want ketchup on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's a grotesque. He, he's told there in, in, in chapter 10, verse 9, so the angel, so I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. Now, this was the one that was given to Jesus in, in, in Revelation mm -hmm. chapter 5 mm -hmm. that has all this stuff in it, mm -hmm. you know, that's un, unfurled. Uh, and he said to me, take and eat it. It will turn sour in your mouth, but it will be as sweet as honey. I believe that's because of the blessings and the cursings, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the, the judgments and so forth for that. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again. Mm -hmm. About who? About many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Mm -hmm. Lynn. That is a totally different audience mm -hmm. than to who the book of Revelation was written to mm -hmm. in the first place. It was written to the seven churches mm -hmm. in Asia Minor. 
This gives us the exegetical basis for extrapolating the relevance of the whole prophecy of the book of Revelation beyond its appointed time of the mm -hmm. end fulfillment as a fulfillment of the Olivet Discourse and a fourth version mm -hmm. of the Olivet Discourse ongoingly. So what we see... For, in for instance, and correct me if I'm wrong, for instance, the kingdom has come but continues to come. Oh, yes. And not only Jesus continues come, to come, but continues to come. But it's a kingdom to whose increase there shall be no end. Isn't that incredible? Of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. No. And so some of the things we see in how Jesus here is operating in this first century dynamic that's going on here in fulfillment, he is still doing this kind of stuff in his sustaining of his creation. Mm -hmm. So the comings we see, for example, in chapters 2 and 3 are still happening. Mm -hmm. The coming we see, cloud coming in judgment. Jesus can still judge peoples yeah. and nations and individuals. Mm -hmm. And some of these comings you wouldn't want to have happen to you. Mm -hmm. Th these trumpets are still sounding. Mm -hmm. These seals are still unsealed and operative. Mm -hmm. these, these bowls are still being poured out. Mm -hmm. and, who, and who's doing it? Jesus, mm -hmm. the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because he told us that all judgment was turned it, over it's almost to like him. It's like, almost like salvation is a completed one-shot deal here with ongoing effects to every man, woman, boy, and girl Absolutely. from there on. So, so the book of Revelation is a fourth version mm -hmm. of the Olivet Discourse, mm -hmm. but it's more. Yeah. And that's the point I want to make. Okay. okay. The Olivet Discourse. Uh, Jesus presented this, the first, the, the week before he was crucified, mm -hmm. standing on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. It's his longest. It's his most dramatic prophecy. Uh, there is so much confusion about this, yeah. like, like there are, like Daniel, like there is of the book of Revelation. Well, dittos here too. Uh, I'm going to show you a, an example of blatant bias interpreting. Mm -hmm. uh, if you will go to, and our viewers, go to uh, Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Jesus has just gone through the temple and casting seven woes on the uh, uh, Pharisees there. And he comes out and he's telling them, uh, like in verse 35, well, he's calling them snakes, mm -hmm. brood of vipers. I mean, this is not, you You've know, killed the prophets, you stoned the ones. I mean, I mean, he's letting them have it, yeah. you know. <laughs> With, with two barrels of a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. And so upon you will come all the blood, of the, you know, and so forth, so forth, so forth. And in verse 36, he says, I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Jesus is going to use that language again. In, in context. In the, in in the, the same chapter. context. Yeah. But if in most... So audience relevance here is very important. Everybody wants to jump oh. out, out of context here. Oh, so keep that in mind. So there's where he uses it, right there. Mm -hmm. and, and then he says uh, in verse 38, Look, your house is left to you desolate. Mm -hmm. Now that's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. This would be in the, when the power of the holy people mm -hmm. has finally been broken. Mm -hmm. When would that be? Well, when, it, when that old covenant system was uh, stone by stone removed and it, let, and it finally reached its point of desolation mm -hmm. there. Uh, so now, now we go into Matthew 24, and, G and the disciples... Uh, 
uh, are leaving the temple, and as they were walking away, then the disciples came to him to call his attention to the buildings. Now, this was one of the most magnificent structures yeah. in the ancient world, mm -hmm. if not the. Mm -hmm. on, a, on a hill, I mean, it was just huge. It wasn't mm -hmm. just a temple. It was a whole temple complex mm -hmm. and, and the buildings. And he said, you see, uh, he said, I tell you the truth. Again, there's old language. Not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be torn down. So then they go across the Kidron Valley and up the other side on the Mount of Olives where you can look out and you can see the whole temple complex mm -hmm. from across that valley. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us, when will this happen? That means the stone, stone by stone. When, mm -hmm. when will this happen? What will be the sign of your parousia coming? Notice it needs a sign. And the end of the age. Not world, but end of the age. And then mm -hmm. Jesus goes into this long description about the end of the age, the gospel being preached in all the world, the end coming, the abomination of desolation, standing in the holy place. Uh, hearers are to, uh, his hearers are to flee for his the lives, a great tribulation unequaled in history, false prophets and false messiahs coming, uh, the coming of the Son of Man, the star the sun and the moon being darkened, stars falling from the sky, and heavenly bodies, a sign of the Son of Man appearing in the sky, the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and this generation not passing away until all these things have happened. And the, the people think that these words are so cryptic you can't understand them, or so many people have so many different opinions of it, they think, well, surely this, none of this stuff has happened yet. But the key here, the, the whole key to this section is what generation was Jesus talking about when he said, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened, Matthew 34, 24. Mm -hmm. Well, now I want to show you an example of blatant bias interpreting. In many Bibles, that passage there has a footnote and to it. And it says that what Jesus really meant was this generation meant race. Mm -hmm. Or a type of people. Mm -hmm. That's the big argument. Is they tell you no, that, that, that means that, the race, not generation. That, that's what they tell you. Mm -hmm. However, if you will look at the identical, same language in Matthew twenty-three, in context, in context, yeah, where he says the same thing. I tell you the truth. This will not come up. All this will come up on this generation. There is no footnote. No. Only place you find a footnote is in the Olivet Discourse. Mm -hmm. Everywhere else that phraseology, this generation is used by Jesus mm -hmm. in the New Testament, never, never footnoted. Footnote. Mm -hmm. Just It's not a different Greek word either. No, same Greek, yeah. jenna. It doesn't mean a race? No, 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 doesn't mean mm -hmm. that at all. But it's footnoted there. Now, uh, and so biblically precedent setting, yes. a generation was 40 years. Yes. And it's based on the brought, being brought out of Egypt into the Promised Land was that generation fell. That's the biblical precedence that we can hang that on, correct? Yes. Yes. Now, Dr. Tommy... And, and we're saying that this generation, this 40 years here. Yeah. Yeah. But everywhere that, that phraseology is this generation yeah. always means that the contemporaries of Jesus, mm -hmm. except where it's footnoted here by some uh, translators mm -hmm. as meaning something different. Uh, Dr. Tommy Ice, dispensational premillennialist, explains that the use of uh, this generation in Matthew 23 is that this is historical, mm -hmm. and and but the use of use of the same language here in Matthew 24, this is prophetic. And Ken Gentry, God bless his heart, a postmillennialist, partial preterist, says, "Well, wait a minute. Uh, prophetic is 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 speaking of things that are to come, right?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, look at Matthew 23. It was to come too. And so upon you will come. If that's not prophetic. Isn't that prophetic? Mm -hmm. Not pathetic, but prophetic. Well, this is just a, a class, these are just classic examples of bias interpreting. Yeah. They don't want it to mean what it means. Because you go there with a preconceived idea. That's right. But I want to profess to you that, that whenever Jesus use, uses that phraseology, he's always talking about his contemporaries mm -hmm. everywhere, including here. Mm -hmm. Now, there are four major sidestepping devices to try to get around that. The first one is, as we're talking about, it has to mean race or a nation or a kind of people. But it doesn't mean that anywhere else. Nowhere else in, in the other 17 uses outside of uh, the Olivet Discourse. So uh, that, at best, that would be interpretation by exception. Mm -hmm. And interpretation by exception is very risky. Yep. Rather, interpretation by consistency. And I'm going to profess that Jesus consistently used that those expressions uh, in the same manner time and time and every time again. Mm -hmm. The second device that's used is generation must refer to some future generation. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, yeah, it's literal, but it's a future generation. To justify that, uh, they, they, uh, it's said that the phrase generation is qualified by the phrase not pass away until all these things have happened. So whatever generation sees these things start to happen that will be Jesus's this generation. Mm -hmm. uh, C.I. Schofield, for example, in, in footnoting this, uh, in his Schofield Bible, uh, Matthew 24, 34 verse, he says, the word generation, jenna, though commonly used in scripture of those living at one time, could not mean, could not mean those alive at the time of Christ. As none of these things, i.e. the worldwide preaching of the kingdom, the tribulation, the return of Christ, the invisible glory, and the regathering elect occurred then. This expression, this generation, one, may mean that future generation which will endure the tribulation at the, at, and see the signs will also be the uh, generation that sees the consummation of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Could there be any more blatant example of bias interpretation? versus consistent use mm -hmm. of the same kind of language. The third device that's used, sidestepping device, uh, oh, by the way, let me give you a couple examples of, of where else Jesus used uh, okay. this generation. Uh, in, in Matthew 20, uh, 12, 39, the same wicked and adulterous generation who was asking for a sign. Mm -hmm. In Matthew 17, 17, then the same one he calls a, quote, unbelieving and perverse generation, end quote, and ask, how long shall I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? In Luke 17, 25, the same one who would reject, reject the God's only son. But, quote, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And there's just one example. There's 17 of them. Lynn, outside of the Olivet Discourse, mm -hmm. and they all mean the contemporaries. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, not one of them, not it, one of them means yeah. means a race or kind Something or some future. future generation. Yeah. yeah, not one of them. But they but they insist that the use of that in the Olivet Discourse of the three gospel versions of the Olivet Discourse mm -hmm. uh, must mean something entirely different. Mm -hmm. uh, classic example of bias interpretation. Now, the Pharisees knew who Jesus was talking about. In Matthew 21, verse 45, when Jesus was telling them that, that the kingdom would be taken away from them and given to another people mm -hmm. who would produce its fruit, mm -hmm. it, it, the Pharisees say that, that they knew he was talking about them. Most Christians today don't know that Jesus was talking about them. He was talking about them. Pharisees knew that. Yeah. Uh, even the scoffers knew mm -hmm. that 
this was the end. The defining characteristic in the historical setting for the time of the end, because the scoffers were saying, where is this coming, he promised. Mm -hmm. See, all those buildings, mm -hmm. you know, just like the disciples who, who were with Jesus and came out of the temple mm -hmm. and walked across the Kidder Valley and pointed up to all the buildings and said, uh, see all these wonderful yeah. things? Mm -hmm. And they said, see, everything remains the same. Mm -hmm. Well, as of this time, it didn't. Yeah. It was left totally desolate. Yeah. Every stone was dismantled. And, and, I, and I think that's what Peter was talking about when he, the, he answered the scoffers and said, well, the reason that uh, it has occurred to seem like that there's some delay, and that's from this point on to here, is so that God is not willing that any should perish, but that we'd have opportunity. So he was giving them every last minute of this generation to be able to come to repentance because he told them the elements are about to melt with the fervent heat which is not a nuclear cataclysm but the destruction of the temple being burnt to the ground and dismantled it was about to be dismantled and it was imminent when you talked about the other day of the timeline Peter writes that just a few years before it actually occurred and said and these things are about to be dissolved folks that's the intensification yeah. of nearness yeah. Yeah. As, as Jesus's 40 year time frame yeah. wound down yeah. the intensity of nearness language yeah. Ratcheted it up yeah. to the end. And, of course, the Jews had to fill up their measure of sin. Yeah. So this was the time that, yeah. that was determined to, yeah. to do that. Now, uh, there's a third device, and that is dividing the Olivet Discourse into two sections. Mm -hmm. And usually this is done in Matthew 24 uh, between uh, verses 34 and 35 or 35 and 36. And it, it's very... Uh, uh, a very strained, there's very strained mm -hmm. reasons. Uh, but but they, they say that, you know, well, this first part, you know, was historical and what happened in 8070, but this second is is the ultimate and, and final fulfillment. Uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, again, explains it like this. He say, says, so, so we have a parousia here in 8070, but it wasn't the per parousia. Uh, when I was asking him about this, he and I got together a couple times at uh, some CBA functions, Christian Booksellers Association functions, and he told me uh, that he'd been reading some of my books, The Apocalypse Conspiracy, which was an old book that's out of print now. Uh, and he said, John, let me tell you, and, and by the way, R.C. had just come out with his, his book, which I totally recommend, called The Last Days According to Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is in 1998. Mm -hmm. uh, excellent book. I actually have that. Yeah. Excellent book. And he says, John, let me tell you how I look at eschatology. He says, I have two columns. One column is AD 70, what happened in AD 70. And the other column is my end of time column. And what I've, he says, I, he says I've really evolved in my understanding of eschatology over the years. And what I've, what, what so I've. So have I, yeah. <laughs> so, so have we so have I. Yeah. He says, what I found I'm doing, I, I keep taking things out of my end of time column and putting, putting them over here in my AD 70 column. But then he shook his finger at me and said, but I still have a few things in my end of time column. Mm -hmm. And I said, R.C., do you know what the Bible has to say about it in time? He said, yeah, I know. Nothing. It's not the <laughs> end of time. It's the time of the end. And, and that's one of the issues uh, we get into in, in the synthesis treatment is that there are false paradigms that drive all four of the major eschatological views and they force a dichotomized hermeneutic. And that's what we're seeing here. So they have to. They're, 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 they're a false paradigm. Well, we have to have something to put in the end of time column. Mm -hmm. We have to have something for, for Israel. We have to have something for the end of the world. 
so so their so their their false paradigm forces them to have a dichotomized hermeneutic. Thus, they must bifurcate uh, the Olivet Discourse. They also must bifurcate the book of Revelation. Now, when I say bifurcate, what I mean is cut in half. Mm -hmm. You know, like the baby, the mm -hmm. solution? Yeah. For, for the baby, oh, I just got that sucker in half yeah. and give you this half and give you that half. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's almost equivalent to that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the dispensationalists have to bifurcate the uh, book of Revelation between chapters 3 and chapters 4. Ch mm -hmm. Chapters 3 and 4 were for back then, but chapter or chapters 1 through 3 were from back then, but chapter 4 on has not happened yet. And the amillennials, they got to, and postmillennials, they have to bifurcate it somewhere around chapter 19 or 20 and, and do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that the first part belongs to back then, but the rest of it is yet to happen. Well, the problem is that the book of Revelation, as you well know, uh, Lynn, uh, places its time statements into both its first chapter and its last chapter, its, its, its prologue and epilogue, that covers the entire prophecy. Mm -hmm. And there is absolutely no justification whatsoever to bifurcate the book of Revelation or the Olivet Discourse or Daniel's 70 weeks anywhere. Mm -hmm. But because of false paradigms that are driving dichotomized hermeneutics, you gotta, you gotta put interruptions and gaps and all these things mm -hmm. to be consistent. So you are, you, what you end up being is consistently wrong mm -hmm. and missing it and missing the divine point in time of the end, whether you're in the book of Revelation, or whether you're in the Olivet Discourse, or whether you're in Daniel. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the mess that we're in. And that is the main reason why there's so much confusion and conflict about this area called eschatology. I think that's, man, that's amazing to me. And I, you know, I look at some of these things, and if you look at uh, even all through the Gospels, not just Matthew 24, but many of the parables where Jesus uh, would say, you know, a certain man had a vineyard, let it out to husbandmen, and mm -hmm. some he sent then his servants to see how the vineyard's gone. He sent prophets and so forth. Some of them they killed, others they, uh, you know, killed, others they, you know, beat, they handled, in, in other words. And then he said, but the last but not least, the owner of the vineyard said, I'll send my son. Surely they'll receive my son. And they killed the owner of the vineyard. And so, uh, the, the son of the owner of the vineyard. Well, anybody with any sense knows that's talking about Jesus. They killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. What do you think he says is going to happen to those evil husbandmen? Is that it's going to be taken from them and given to uh, a nation producing the fruit. Uh, all, it, 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 it's so in context. If you can't see that it's in context, I, I, I don't know. We're going to come back. We're going to continue to talk about the Olivet Discourse, but we're out of time for this segment. Uh, take a moment to write to us, to call the number on the screen. Go to our Facebook I'm sorry, public profile page, and uh, send us a comment if you're enjoying this. Uh, go to our website once again. You can watch any of these programs, but if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please tell your friends about us. Tune in every week as we continue to unpack this. If you believe in what we're doing, get behind what we're doing financially. We need your help. That's what helps us to keep preaching the gospel that we're preaching, and as you could tell, we're probably not preaching the most popular thing, but we just feel like it is our destiny to do this just to offer an alternative view. So God bless you for watching. Tune in again next week. John will be with me again for the next couple weeks, and you're going to be blessed by it. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. 
This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.